0: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Coran. That's what everybody, we are back and this is episode
1: 217. Working title currently, but it's this episode is all about dynamic content probably come up with something more flashy than that but we're going to be talking about what dynamic content is and how it powers websites and why it's important for you to pay attention to it because it seems like something that's kind of always been there it's been there for a long time but when you take a look at a website which we're going to today and take a look at a a, li- a, a live website a, a a modern website let's say it's uh it's really important that you get these concepts down so if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show you can go check us out on that patreon leave a review or rating on your podcast app join us in our discord server or share this with your friends and just a little self plug our discord server is going to be undergoing some renovations it's still going to be the same community and all that that's not what i'm saying we're just going to be changing up a lot of the channels and how we process new users and stuff like that that is hopefully coming soon so if you've ever been like, man, this Discord server is in disarray and I'm out of here. Uh, it's time to maybe come back because we're working on some stuff to clean it up and revitalize it a little bit. But anyway, on to this episode, which is of course about dynamic content. And before we dive into the importance of dynamic content, what it is. And well, I guess we're diving into what it is, but why it, why it needs to be looked after so specifically, we're going to dive into just the definition of it. What is it? And dynamic content in the context of a website refers to content that is constantly changing, updating, and evolving. Almost like it's being dynamic, if you will. So dynamic content in probably its simplest form are just blog posts where an author writes up a piece on a, like a piece of content on a CMS and then publishes that post on the website. And that post is automatically by the website's back end and design is given its own page and it's complete with styling, a unique URL and unique metadata for things like SEO, or maybe you're styling some, getting the, uh, the, the pictures and the titles and everything ready for an, some open graph tags. You can share it on Facebook and other social media networks that are compatible with that, things like that. And from the web dev slash web design standpoint, like I said, this is a simple example, the blog post, but it's also probably the prime example of dynamic content. And this is because a single template is created with HTML and CSS and any other applicable technologies out there. And then that template is filled in with the author's unique content, sort of like an actual fill in the blank page. In the template, there's a blank for the main content, another blank for the title, another blank for the author's name, and those things will be filled in based on what the author has filled in in the CMS. Now, beyond this single page that is generated for the post, this dynamic content starts to spill over into other parts of the website as well, into things like post listings, where blog posts are listed in content boxes for users to scan through and then click on to read. If you go to any major website, say IGN.com or other blogs out there, What you're mostly looking at is content boxes. There's a featured image, there's a title, maybe the date of the article, maybe the author, maybe a little excerpt, all different types of designs. But you're looking at these content boxes and these are lists of what is on the site. And so it's important to realize that dynamic design is not just the single page template where I write up something in the CMS and it generates this page. This information is spilling over into other parts of the site. And these sections and these areas that are being shaped and filled in by this dynamic data is generally entirely powered by the publication of the blog posts. Someone is not going in and adding blog posts to the post listings across the site. Someone is not going into even, let's say, the HTML, the things website. Someone is not going in, like I'm not going in there and if I write a new post about this, this podcast, I'm filling in my show notes. And when I fill in all the stuff, the images, the, this, the, that, and I publish it, the site gets updated. Yeah. There is a single page generated where I can read through all the show notes, see the title, play the episode right there, all those type of things. See the, see the timestamps if applicable, or if, if I had time to do them that week. But the thing is, is that The front page is also being updated. It has content boxes and I think there's three of them and you can scroll down, you can see it and it it has the latest one on the far left and show or on the top if you're on mobile and it shows you this stuff. And and this is not I'm not going in and making that content box. I'm simply filling in the uh, blanks, if you will, in the CMS for the podcast episode. And then the, the front page area where the podcast is housed is Taking that data and dynamically sort of creating and filling in these content boxes. And so you can start to see where this is starting to get more powerful and you start to see how it's starting to affect more parts of the website other than just the singular blog post page. And this ultimately is where dynamic content can get really powerful, advanced, more granular, maybe holly above. And this is with the addition of CMS controls that automatically put these blog posts into specific parts of a website. So for example, if your site's homepage has a listing of say three posts right at the top of the page, and below that is a list of all the other posts on the site, the top three posts might be featured. Let's say that those are the featured stories. And these prime featured spots are reserved for those featured stories. So you can empower the author With a toggle switch the writer of this content they'll have a toggle switch in the in the editor in the cms and they can toggle it on or off for whether it's a featured story or whether it's not just by toggling that switch on the story will once published automatically appear in the featured section and will not appear in the list below those featured stories and oftentimes since there are only three featured stories it'll be limited to those three featured stories If someone writes a new one, it's not going to add a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. It will bump the oldest featured story out automatically out of the three. Now, of course, you can get more granular with this and you can make it so that some of them are fixed or maybe there's another field that keeps them there longer and stuff like this. But for the sake of this, just this basic example, you can start to already see how website pages like the whole homepage of many sites is just filled with content boxes that are pulled from pieces of content, video posts, written posts, uh, external things like tweets, uh, different things like testimonials. All these things they're they're coming from dynamic data. This is why it it is so important.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned exactly what I was going to say right at the end there, where you can have dynamic content coming from. A million different er places now uh one big one that i'm working with right now is e-commerce platforms so uh if you have a blog and an e-commerce and a marketing site all in one then it could happen where you have the standard cms something like sanity prismic wordpress whatever but you also have content like market, like uh, product data coming from something like shopify so That's two different sources of dynamic content that you have to deal with. Then you can have, like you said, Matt, social media posts as well being pulled in. So now you have three sources. You can have data being pulled in from another third-party analytics firm. That's four sources. Like you can have so much stuff that you have to dynamically display in a coherent way on your site. That dynamic content is now just – It really is – it becomes the website, right? So you're just putting a skeleton together and the engineering and design and UI challenge becomes how do you put it together in a way where all this data from different sources can be displayed dynamically as it's being pushed in and updated and edited and created – In a way that doesn't break the page in terms of like, you know, if someone adds too many things here and if someone makes the text too large here, like how much do you give control to the editors? We'll talk about that a little bit further down, but – Dynamic content is a really big part of web development. I just want to emphasize that right now. So people that are like, oh, I don't have to deal with that. Uh, yeah, you will 100% have to deal with that if you're going into front-end development, back-end development, whatever. You're either going to be providing the dynamic content through back-end, or you're going to be using it, serving it, and uh, analyzing and displaying it with the front-end. So it's part of everything at this point. If you're making a website, it's most likely going to have some sort of dynamic content.
1: And this can honestly be seen if you've ever, and I'm sure we have, gone to a website where for whatever reason, just do a fluke or maybe if something's wrong with the site, the dynamic content fails to load and you see this skeleton of a couple of content boxes that are more or less rectangles or circles or squares or whatever they are, but it's just like a background color. Maybe there's the odd lorem ipsum there or maybe it literally says sample text or like fill me in or whatever it, it is. You can automatically see, whoa, this website does not have a lot of substance with it, substance in it without dynamic content being pulled in and really powering the majority of the website in most cases. So we'll move on here to the importance of dynamic content. And you might think, you know, I, I've just given some examples and you might think what I've, what I've just gone through is obvious. Blogs have been powered by this for years at this point. You know, this is a mute point obviously your people are writing content and then that content's being condensed into these little content boxes that have the title and some other metadata. And then you click on one of them and you go to the, you go to the, the actual single page where you can read the, the blog post. You may think, you know, this is simple. This is easy, but I'm, I want to take a look at a real world example of something that really is not a blog. It has a blog, but it's not a blog and that's auto trader. So earlier today I went to autotrader.ca and I want to be clear that I this isn't sponsored by them or anything. I just went there randomly and I just did an analysis of their site. I have no background information. So some of this stuff might be inaccurate, right? I don't, I'm not writing the code for their site or anything, but just from looking at it from a public perspective, didn't even go, did not even go into the inspect element. Right at the top of the page, we had the top, right at the top of the page, I mean, we had the nav bar and the nav bar had links on it, of course, and like a login link and all this type of thing. And these links could be powered by the existence of pages that it links to. And this is an example of dynamic data. A page in the CMS could simply have a toggle switch that will show and hide it from the navbar. And the deletion of that page or the toggling off of that switch will not result in a broken link, like as if you statically put a link there. Example, if you had an About Us page and you went in and you designed in your HTML and in your CSS you have buttons and I put right in the HTML an about us button and then the about us page gets deleted, that about us button is still going to be there. But in this example, it's entirely possible that that about us page only shows up in the menu because there's a toggle switch that says show this in the menu. And then if that toggle switch gets toggled off, it disappears. If the about us page gets deleted, that button disappears and it's preventing a broken link. Now, I don't know if AutoTrader has a static or more, more so static navbar or a dynamic one, but very well could be dynamic. And in WordPress, you can say add new pages automatically to my menus and then have my menus automatically appear at the top. You see where this dynamic data is starting to sort of trickle down and spill over into other areas. So back to our example below that navbar, we had a banner for the charge.ca, which is some sort of electric car thing. I didn't actually check that out. Now, this is more than likely. Static to some extent, but it could be powered dynamically by say some sort of banner CMS option. And maybe every user gets a different banner based on cookies or other data. Commonly that'll happen with other websites. Of course, I I believe this one was static though. So this would be if the dynamic content wasn't working for whatever reason. Like I said, this would be the one thing on this site so far that would have loaded almost for sure. Next thing here, we have the search options. So there's a big search bar there. And you can search through available cars and apply a bunch of different filters like make and model, maximum price, your postal code, whether you want the car to be new, used. And then there's a bunch of other options as well on top of an advanced search tab for even more specific searching for more than likely car enthusiasts or people that want a specific car. Now, this part is obviously more static. It's not based upon dynamic content. It's just right on the site and it it's for search. But I mean, if there wasn't any dynamic content, like the cars being listed, uh, there, there wouldn't be any results. So this is fed like this, this, uh, search thing, which is more or less static is fed by dynamic content. The results are below that, below that search, we had two content boxes and an ad. One of the content boxes was for selling your car and how you can list it for free on the site. This is probably static more than likely because they're always going to want people to List things for free on there. Another one, uh, that was right beside it. The other content box was there was to determine the value of your car. Also probably static because people would want to know the value of their car and be like, Hey, I could sell that. And then they'd click on the list for free button, list free button, whatever. But right beside that was an ad, which I believe was powered by ad choices. And this is obviously more than likely controlled remotely by some ad servicing company dynamically. So this is an example of something that is more than likely powered, not by the website's CMS directly, but it's dynamic content on some sort of ad provider's side. And it remotely sort of streams in, if you will, to the auto trader website. Next thing here, three ads in a row or three sponsored posts, something along those lines. I believe they were ads. I believe they were sponsored, but they were just sort of like, Little pieces of content, like one was for Ford and there was some other ones, like one was for a podcast and stuff like that. So I believe it's sponsored content. Don't quote me on that. But this was more than likely dynamically served either by the local CMS or by a remote ad slash sponsored page. We've done this for clients in uh, Webflow before where they just have a sidebar where local businesses sponsor and they get a little square and they want to put their logo in there or say like, hey, call me, you know, for help with building blah, 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 or whatever, building this or doing plumbing or whatever, little sort of more not run by an ad agency, just sort of more local ads or more specific ads that people rent a little spot. So more than likely serve dynamically, but maybe not. The next one here though, and this is the rest of the page, and this is including several sections of the page, really the meat and potatoes of AutoTrader. These include browse by body type section, The 2022 Auto Trader Awards section, which includes things like the best overall SUV, the best overall truck, things like that. Next one, latest news and reviews, which is basically a blog post listing, right? Like I said, the archive page, if you will, of listing, not an archive page, but a little thing that provides you with all these content boxes that like you can click in to read these different blog posts and these different news and different reviews. Also, the new vehicle listing section, the most popular cars in Canada, With filtering options by geographical area. And then there's an Our Partners little kind of carousel like area, though that didn't, it didn't move around because there's only a couple of partners. More than likely, this is powered dynamically by the CMS. And so, what I'm trying to point out here is that the bulk of this website is powered by dynamic content. What's the dynamic content? Well, I mentioned there's a blog section with the news and reviews, but what else? Well, the search, probably a bunch of the nav bar. And a whole bunch of the sections I just mentioned, are all powered by the post type, let's say cars, if we were to boil it down. People will list their car, they fill in a form, which is the CMS, they fill in the name of the car, the photos, all kinds of stuff. Some stuff's going to be mandatory more than likely, some stuff's going to be optional more than likely, right? I haven't listed a car here, but all that data that's entered... Then, depending on how that data was entered, is this a featured car? Is this a new car? An old car? A used car? Is this a certified pre-owned car? Is this by a dealer? Is this by a private owner? Is this a classic car? What year is it? What's the make? What's the model? All this, they get. Then it, that data gets spread out throughout the whole website. It shows up in search results that that apply based on that search bar I just mentioned. Maybe even Google searches. It it, it shows up in if it's an SUV, it'll show up in the SUV body type section, for example. And if there's no SUVs, I wouldn't be surprised if that body type doesn't even get listed in the body type section. So you can start to see how it's not just blog posts. It's like Auto Trader and many other sites require dynamic data to really run things. Otherwise, their search doesn't work. Maybe their banner works. Maybe some of the ads work. Maybe the nav bar works. But like, Most of the site and the reason why most people are there to look at cars and those are effectively you can really kind of think of them as blog posts in that they're not a written post, but it's a singular page and they're designed virtually all exactly the same. And it's a fill in the blank little template. And then that again, that data gets scattered throughout. And the final thing on the page is the footer, of course, same situation as the nav bar, I'd say, you know, could be dynamically done, could be could be statically done. But that's just my estimate. But you can see how something like if you had WordPress and the very first thing I think of going to WordPress, let's say I want to make an auto trader clone. Well, WordPress by default has the posts post type. That's for blogs. So I don't want that. So I'd make a custom post type for cars. I'd add my custom fields, which would include images like an image array of some sort, the name of the car, the make, the model, the year, stuff like that. And then on the actual homepage, I could have dynamic little filters where I could say sort by cars that are less than five years old, sort by cars that have less than 100,000 kilometers on the odometer, stuff like that. This is where things start getting really powerful and start really powering full websites. Sure, on WordPress, oftentimes you have a quote unquote static page set as your homepage. But that static page has these little widgets and these little sections that are completely if not mostly powered by dynamic data, by dynamic content. Now, what this brief analysis sort of really points out is that dynamic content is super important in not only the local sense, so something like let's take the little carousel with the uh, our partners from our auto trader example That's probably something real easy locally, right? There's a, let's just, let's just say it's run by WordPress. It probably more auto trader, more than likely it's not WordPress. Just hypothetically, you add a post type called, um, our partners and literally someone logs in, they click add new partner, they type in something like Carfax and then they upload an image and the website is smart enough to grab that, that local asset and to put it on the website it doesn't grab the name that you typed in Carfax. That's for the CMS organization. It's smart enough to only grab that image, and then maybe apply a link if applicable. So maybe maybe the user inter, in, inputs a link, and you can start to twist and change the UX and the UI there by having maybe the buttons are or the links to the partners are optional. So some of the images that are going to be displayed in this carousel are clickable, and some are not. And maybe some of them have a different style if they are clickable. So you can tell at a glance which ones are clickable. So there's really a lot of stuff you can do here with the design aspect, with the dynamic content aspect. And dynamic content is really at the home house, like at the center of it all. And we touched on it a little bit, but remote data, like Mike already talked about it with APIs. Like if he's pulling from uh, some sort of e-commerce platform um, or a, a lot of times even people will pull things from a blog. So they'll have their main website and maybe their main website is a web app where it searches through stuff or whatever. It's It's a web app, but they do have a blog. That blog might be under a subdomain and it could be hosted somewhere completely different. It's on WordPress and it's on this, it's on that, whatever. It's on a separate blogging platform. But that main site, that web app might pull in the top three stories just to filter in. And then when click people click read more on one of the top three stories, if they want to read it, they don't have the obvious change in domain. They don't they don't have the obvious like, oh, I'm on another platform. So what I'm trying to point out here is that dynamic content is important in the local sense in terms of where this website's hosted with the local CMS built in. Also, the remote sense. And as a final note, this is very, very true for headless CMS, where you might buy a headless CMS service or maybe you'll make your WordPress or make another thing uh, a headless CMS. And then that is, you know, living in a server that's, you know, 100 miles away from the other server that's delivering the pages. And in the back end, the server that's delivering the pages to the public, on like the actual website itself, is talking to that server that's 100 miles away, the headless CMS, to pull in that data. So it's important to realize that dynamic data is now, you know, not not all being local. It's going across remote and local means.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think <clears throat> most of the web now is powered by some sort of dynamic content source, right? Now, to say that there are still use cases for a static website, it's becoming rarer and rarer with easier and easier to add, let's say headless CMSs and easier platforms to work with that have dynamic content built in like Webflow and Plasmic and all those, but it's still there's still a niche that is supporting static websites right for instance a good a good example would be your first developer portfolio a lot of developer portfolios are going to be static content because as developers we can go in and copy paste some code if we need to add a couple more blog posts right like it's not a big deal for us should you add a whole cms to your uh developer portfolio just to you know be able to do that when you when you want to maybe maybe for the experience of adding a cms but in terms of just usability of the site and whatever, it's not that big a deal because, again, we're developers. But a lot of times, just think about it from a bigger perspective, any company that doesn't have developers on staff, any small business, right? any smaller corporation that just doesn't need developers on staff all the time, they have contractors, they will push heavily for dynamic content capabilities like CMSs. Because then they don't have to pay a developer $150,000, $200,000 a year to go and, you know, copy paste some code for them or edit some HTML tags because a regular person, a regular employee, a marketing person is not going to be comfortable going into a code base and editing text even. Let alone, you know, taking a div and multiplying it. Not that that doesn't that hasn't happened before. Hundred percent, that was a thing for a long time in probably many companies, and it's probably happening right now to some legacy websites where they just haven't integrated a CMS or they just don't have the money to rebuild their site in a CMS form. But the reality is, that's just not good user experience and it's going that that kind of system would lead to a lot of issues down the line for a larger company when you're constantly editing stuff. Even for a developer doing it, they could miss a tag. They could, you know, uh, put in the wrong alt tag here because they have to edit the, you know, the, the the file name in three different places. Like there could be many different issues that trickle down when you have a repeatable section that needs to be updated manually. That's why CMSs exist. That's why this is a really big and important part of the web. Uh, It's not just because, hey, we're lazy. No, it's because this is a standard uh, across the board now for for corporate websites or business websites or SaaS businesses, whatever, to have content that is repeatable so that you can easily and reliably recreate it without having to go into code and copy paste.
1: And and on what you just said too, Mike, like sites now are powered by dynamic content. And I touched on it earlier that sites for a long time were powered by, by dynamic content. But dynamic content has become more and more important because we have sites that aggregate things or sites, like I said, that go across a subdomain and it's two different CMS and stuff like that. But we're seeing this in 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 the CMS itself in that way back, and like Michael, remember this, we worked on Dreamweaver sites. Um, we had a, co- uh, not a client, but somebody approach us one time to take a look at a very old Joomla site. And it was running on PHP 5, I want to say, something like that. And they couldn't figure out how to get the CMS portion to work or it was broken down or something was really wrong with that site due to its age. Trying to get like a host that would run that thing was it was a big mess. And what they ended up doing was somebody figured out how to instead of using the sort of the CMS portion, which is more or less like filling out a field, they figured out how to go into sort of the visual editor and just edit things manually. And so when they had like the latest stories or what have you, they were manually put in. They weren't actually the latest stories by date, actually the latest stories by featured toggle or something. They were just featured stories because somebody visually went in there. And this is where, this is where, you know, CMSs have started changing and have how things have started sort of change. getting more open over the years where even in WordPress, I feel as though, I don't know about old WordPress. I haven't really used an old, old, old WordPress installation for a number of years, but WordPress today, having just built a site in it from scratch very recently, as I think last month, as of recording this, something like that, um, it feels very open where I at least know where stuff is and it will warn me of stuff like, Hey, if you touch this, you know, this could break things. And it, it lets me know because it knows, the CMS knows I'm going to go into all these areas and start touching things because I need to pull data. I need to add functions. I need to make new short codes, I need to do this and that. It knows I need all this data. Whereas back in the day with the old Joomlaws, the old Dreamweavers with templates that get locked down and then there's multiple templates within a website and this and that, it starts getting really confusing and, and it's very hard to tell what's going on. And it was largely, I would say, because obviously web development's in its infancy back then. And and a side effect of that is that the dynamic data was around, but people weren't really pulling on it. And they would just create another template if they needed to. Oh, I'll just create another Dreamweaver template and, you know, embed it here. And I don't want anyone to touch it. So I'll lock it in whatever method that is. And then another Dreamweaver version comes out, another one, another one, another one, three versions down the road. Oh, now that other one can't be unlocked by this. And it's locked behind this, which is locked behind this, which is locked behind this. And it becomes this really like not open environment where it's like, I can't like if someone calls us says I want to change this button, I could be there for nine hours, nine hours trying to frigging figure out how to how to to change a button. And I can't do it. Can that happen in WordPress? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it can. But it's getting there where it's getting to the point where I can at least be like, hey, I'm going to go in there and just like sloppily. But like as a band aid for you, I'll like CSS hide it and then CSS show another one. And we could just do that for the time being. So because you have like an event coming up or what have you. Right, so CMSs are definitely evolving with dynamic content in mind, and and with that, I want to touch on designing a CMS with dynamic content in mind. Now, I'm not talking about literally building a CMS. I'm talking about a CMS that's say a blank slate, like a like a Webflow, like a, a WordPress custom post kind of custom post type stuff like that, and and a number of other things. Headless CMSs out there, where you're basically told like, okay, like what. Fields do you want your user to be able to fill in? Couch CMS is another great example. It's the first one we use like this. Which fields do you want your user to be able to fill in? And I recently wrote an article about this called Content Boxes Have a Design Problem. And that's available on htmlthings.com as well as Hash and Medium. A shameless self plug, I guess. But I specifically talked about content boxes. And I was talking about how content boxes are dynamically designed throughout a website meaning that they're 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 styled differently on the featured stories page versus the sidebar versus just the news section. Just an example. And in this article, I talked about some tactics that I use to help my CMS experience so that users that have very technical or very limited technical knowledge, potentially, they're content creators. They're not web developers. They want to be able to edit their content, create their content right on here. So I try to really kind of provide them with a good UX. Now, I'm not you know, the end all be all best UX person. Of course not. But I try to keep things o- not overbearing. I don't want to keep asking them for things. I don't want to leave the door open for major mistakes. I want the mistakes that they make to be content, content based, like, whoops, I accidentally uploaded the wrong pic- picture. Oh, I accidentally uh, made a typo. I don't want them to be like, whoops, accidentally uh, upload a file and I got the wh- the uh, WordPress uh, white screen to death and uh, they have to call you have to engage you. That's that's a liability. Right. So Well, my article that I mentioned is focused on content boxes and the combination of dynamic design and dynamic content, right? Ultimately, their design changes. Ultimately, the design changes, um, within them. So, like, to break up the, to break up the monotony of just like looking at a rectangle with a title, rectangle with a title, rectangle with a title, rectangle with a title. The dynamic design changes it up. So users can go through the website and they have big content boxes, little content boxes, this content box, that content box. But we have to remember that dynamic design is powered by dynamic content. They're two separate things, but they're very related. And they, it's it's a, because everything is dynamic, as Mike and I just discussed, dynamic design and dynamic content go hand in hand. And you have to take this rather complex sort of concoction, if you will, and translate this into a CMS, you have to make it so that someone who is not tech savvy goes in and says, what the heck is an open graph image? Uh, what the heck is this thing? Um, what's an SEO image? Uh, what's an SEO title and stuff like that. So my tips for this, and I have five of them, is the, and I'll just list them out and then I'll describe them. So the first one is descriptive helper text. So helper text is when you have a, let's say you have a title field. So it's just a text field and you label it as title, article title, something like that. The helper text will generally appear right below the title of that, of that, of that field. So the title, it will appear right below that and it will give them something more. It'll give them something more descriptive. So it'll say stuff like, Hey, you know, this is, uh, you know, a maximum of 55 characters, um, you know, please use initial caps, uh, please use this, you know, APA capitalization method, uh, stuff like that. It's supposed to help guide them. And really specifically, it's supposed to help guide them if they have a question as to what something is. So when it comes to a title, they're not going to, they're not going to care. But some bloggers will use the term subtitle and some bloggers will use the term byline. Well, somebody might be confused. They might have worked out one blog their whole life. Now they come over to work for you and they're like, man, I've always used the word subtitle. What's a byline? So the byline is, can be fit, can be uh, ironed out with the descriptive helper text. And you can literally write something like this displays right below the title. Acts as a subtitle. Stuff like that. Something that's just, you know, quick, brief and that type of thing. The next tip I have here is to reduce liability. So I've already mentioned you know, having something where the user can easily accidentally crash the entire website. This is easier said than done. And I'll describe why in a minute. But we want to reduce our liability in that we want the content, the CMS, to only really touch the content, if you will. We want the CMS to, or we want the, the liability to be in the typos and in, whoops, accidentally upload the wrong image, like I said. We do not want someone to have access, say, to, uh, full custom, uh, backend code editor. An example would be in WordPress. Maybe, you know, it's hard to get the user role editor tuned just so, and you know, you're, 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 you're sick of it. Your content creators keep bugging you. You have a new site and the authors are like, man, I can't upload images. I can't upload images. Like what's going on. You mess with the permissions and you just can't get it to work. And so it's easy to just say, screw it. I'm going to make them an admin. Yeah. You're going to make them an admin and you're also going to make them a huge liability. What happens if you run a site that has a heck of a lot of plugins and maybe some of them are old and they're old for a reason because the new ones don't work right. And all of a sudden you're going to reduce, like all of a sudden they they can take down the entire website. They can take down the entire site because they can go in and be like, oh, WordPress has an update. And they click update and it's like, oh, um, help, you know, and just break everything. That's a liability. And the reason why I say this is easier said than done is because sometimes when you inherit a website, the users don't want to give up their account and they don't want to give up their power. Even though they don't touch the updates, they don't want to touch this and that, they want to keep their account and they want maybe everyone to use the same account or whatever it is. And so there's like sort of an office bureaucracy and office politic thing there where, you know, you have liabilities where people are, everyone signing as an admin because that's just the way things have been and that's the way they want things. But there's ways to reduce their liability with things just like, Fields, field limits and field requirements and things like, Hey, you can't go above 55 characters. Hey, this field is limited or Hey, this field is optional. Hey, this field is required. And that leads right into my next tip, which is flexible requirements and strict limits. So we've already talked about liability, but what does it mean to be flexible and strict at the same time? Well, you can say, have your SEO title. Be you have like an SEO title field. It's a title. It's a, um, it's just a text field. You have your helper text and it, and it says, we recommend this to be 55 characters, but it maxes out at 60. Okay. So someone types something in and it's 65 characters. It doesn't let them go past 60 characters, period. So what this does is this allows the, the content creator to read the requirement and work on their content to get it as close to the requirement or the, let's say, the recommended, as much as they can. But if they just cannot get that title down to 55 characters and it ends up being 57, hey, they put the work in, it's at 57, the system's not going to block them, it's not going to break anything, and they're going to publish it. And so this is an example, once again, of flexible requirements and strict limits. The requirement is that this is an SEO-friendly title. Here's what we recommend as disclosed in the helper text. And we're not going to let you put a bad SEO title in. We're not going to let you go above 60 characters. That type of thing. The next one here, only add fields when necessary. So I mentioned dynamic design and with dynamic design comes a whole bunch of different uh, images and different portrait and or different uh, orientations like portrait and landscape and and different sizes and all kinds of stuff. And if you go to my article, once again on htmlofthings.com, it, I go through an example of one day i went on ign.com and i took some screenshots of the different content boxes and the different areas that they had on the website and i had this um you know kind of realization that hey there's a big banner image and then this one's a portrait and this one's in landscape and this one's small and this one's big and so it's easy to just go through let's say that design and when you're writing down your cms design let's say you sort of jot it down for organization purposes before implementing it, you might have three, four, five image recommendation fields. Like you might have a bunch of them in there and be like, man, like, or uh, not image recommendation, image uploading fields. You, you, you're you asking the user for a portrait image, a, a landscape image, a, a large image, a small image, a, a compressed image. And, you know, the list goes on. And you could do this with text too in certain contexts. And it just starts getting a little bit ridiculous. So what I say is I, I offload that to the CMS. So... Many CMS, when you upload an image, it'll make multiple versions, a small, medium, large, original, whatever. So it'll do that high DPI, low DPI. So you use those, but also use CSS. So maybe the user needs to upload two images such that they have a portrait image and a landscape image because cropping them doesn't really work, but everything else you can handle with just say background size cover and that's it. And then you can go in with your CSS and you kind of change which version of the, of the uh, image you're using. You can go in and you can change like how much of a border radius it has and what the size is and stuff like this. And sometimes you do need another field, right? You don't want to have somebody upload a 10 megabyte image and have that image be, you know, the end all be all for every single version so that CSS can crop it, this and that. You're going to start hurting site performance. But my point is, is don't be asking just because it's convenient. Be like, oh, you know what? I'll like put the inconvenience of multiple styles on the user of the CMS, on the CMS user. I'll put it on them and then I don't have to worry about it. It's like, no, no, no. Like you do your computing and your development and then whittle it down to one or two fields if you can. Only when necessary, add fields. Because more fields is more chances for mistakes, 100%. And the last one here, my last tip is be mindful of backward compatibility. So one of the things we learned in college was don't like try not to hard code things what does that mean when you hard code something let's say for example uh you have a light switch well if you it's a zero and a one on and off right on and off one is on and zero is off so what you do is you can write up code where it specifically addresses just that light switch it specifically looks for the voltage on just that light switch it specifically looks on just that pin because we're talking about circuitry you know, it it specifically, it's so specific that it's hard-coded so that it will only work on that switch or maybe switches that are near identical or literally identical to that type. Alternatively, you could have a function that checks if a voltage is present, a one or a zero, and then that can be, that's more modular. You can take that and apply it to other circuits, either fully or in part. Only hard-code the things you absolutely need to hard-code soft code as many things as you can to make it more modular. How does this apply to CMSs though? It doesn't sound like it does. It it absolutely does. If you have something like a holiday um special, a holiday special week on your on your blog and you have a field in there that will always apply say um a red background to the to the, the background of your blog posts. Let's just say it's Christmas. Hooray. So you put up your, your red background. Well, in future designs, maybe, you know, blogs iterate, they change, they get age and designers come in, they move it. That might be a completely, and I mean completely useless feature in a, in a future design. And you have a field for it there. It's useless because they're not doing it like that anymore. But you could, and and the thing is, is you could just do that in CSS, but to have somebody literally come in and have a color picker and it's like, oh, make sure you choose red. And not only are you opening it up to, uh, not only are you opening it up to, um, error where somebody might accidentally choose like brown or, or like green or something like that. You're also, it's just like, why would I hard code this in so specifically? And then another thing is, is let's say for example, you Hard code in a bunch of fields. So you hard code in, um, a byline or a subtitle, a short one and a long one. And you use this for widescreens, like a desktop and a cell phone, which is in portrait rather slim. And so you have a short one and a long one because you don't want to truncate it. You don't want it to wrap. Well, that's kind of messy. And that's hard coded, and that's really specific. And. What you really should do is either limit it to just the short byline or have it, have CSS truncate it or have CSS style it so it doesn't look as bad with wrapping. Because when the when the blog iterates in design, maybe this byline doesn't matter anymore. And maybe the byline becomes, we only want short ones. Now you're doing a, a bunch of data entry. You're moving your, your copy or maybe you're, you're making a new subtitle field and you're moving the, the, the byline or the short byline data to that, to that or it, stuff like that. And, and this applies not just to text and images. This absolutely applies to things like toggle switches, where if you have a toggle switch that, you know, turn like makes, um, the title appear for some reason. And then in then future designs, you're like, the title should always appear. It's like, are you really going to get rid of that toggle switch? And then you're going to have to like change the logic because the default position is not to show the title. So now you're going to have everyone force the toggle on. And then you see where the technical debt and all these problems start adding up. So be mindful of backwards compatibility, but also forwards compatibility in that make your fields generic, make your fields be like, hey, you know, featured image, title, byline, subtitle, whatever, main content, uh, featured image, um, stuff like that. Probably, I'll probably repeated one of those twice, but Stuff like that is goes a long way in keeping the CMS not super dated and not filled with old data or just too many fields. And it just starts getting really technical debt filled.
2: Yeah, and just to build on that last point, uh, I have another kind of tip for you is to create patterns and follow those patterns throughout your – content content editable fields So for instance if you have a if you have a if you have a need for having a mobile image and a desktop image right in your blog post and maybe in your product page uh, make it so that you know the mobile image is first and the desktop image is second and keep it that way across all of your con- custom content posts right? Because then when an editor comes in, they know exactly that, okay, anytime they see these two, the first one will always be mobile, the second one will always be desktop, they don't have to think about it. As soon as you make them think, it takes them out of any sort of flow state they're in, it takes them out, and they could screw it up as well. So it's the same thing with like heading, subheading, headings always on top, subheadings always on the bottom, right? It's the same thing with any sort of customization that you provide to any sort of field, just make sure that it lines up across your entire site. So that they're not going in, and it's like all of a sudden everything's a jumbled mess in every in all the different custom types. You want to keep it as low, um, the lowest barrier of entry as possible for people, because people will screw it up no matter what. But the idea is, is that if you make it if you make it simple and make it consistent by following patterns, it's going to be easier for the content editors. That's the goal of a CMS. Right. The CMS is great. You can, you know, if it can provide a bunch of features and all that, but the goal is to make it so that the content editors can edit the content as efficiently as possible. Second, uh, second tip that I have is create a onboarding process for content editors. So when a new content editor, like a marketing person or whoever's going to be touching the CMS comes in, they have either a video that they can watch with some sort of flow of how people how you to edit content and how to test it as well. That's another big one, test the content. But essentially, you either have a a video, you have a set of documentation. So you have written articles, or you just take them through like a 30 minute session, one on one with them to just to show them all the different little nuances, because no matter how generic you make it, no matter how dynamic you make it, no matter what, there's going to be little nuances of being like, okay, you know what, on this specific component, you want to make sure to, you know, put in just enough words here. Otherwise it's going to look really weird down the line. There's going to be little things that are going to potentially screw up the flow like, and they could come in, you know, two months down the line if you don't set expectations from the start. So it helps a lot for the actual person that's editing content just to see how it's done initially or even I'll, like sit with them while they do their first edits as well just to make sure that they're going through the right processes and see that they're doing everything correctly and the testing part I just want to touch on that a little bit it's really important to show them how to like sh- like preview their drafts because a lot of times content editors will go in type in all their content hit publish and walk away sometimes they won't even check the live site sometimes they will but it's important for them to review the drafts not only on desktop, which is 99% of the time where they're going to be editing the content, but make sure that they can view their draft on mobile. So show them how they can do that either through the console uh, inspect element tools where you can change the size, or if there's a draft link, how they can send that to their phone so that they can actually see the draft on their phone. Adding these steps, I did this recently to the content editing site that I'm working on has helped reduce the number of random issues that we've had post publication down to like one a month. When I first joined, it was like three a week that people were just like, Oh my God, we, you know, on the, on mobile, the image doesn't show up or it, it overlaps or something like that. Well, you didn't check it on mobile. That's why. And you didn't tell anyone that you published. So you have to have these processes in place. You have to have an onboarding process. You have to have a checking, a testing process also that you don't you avoid all the issues that can come with custom content.
1: When you were talking about your first tip as well, I wanted to jump in because there's something that like I didn't touch on but is really important and that is that kind of the glanceability in the in the context and where you are in the CMS. Obviously, if you're in a blog post and you're editing a post, you're in that context, but you can be in like sort of a sub context and one of the things that we did for a Webflow client and Webflow really should have conditional visibility in the CMS. I'm going to point, I'm going to call them out for that right now. But what we did was we had this, this particular client will share um, other people's articles and I call it like the third party link mode or something. And in say like a WordPress situation, I would have conditional visibility where I would have a toggle and be like, are you sharing someone else's content? If the answer to that's yes and you toggle it to yes, more fields show up and you share their link, you share their image, you share whatever it is you need to share. It keeps them in there. Now, Webflow doesn't, Webflow CMS does not have this conditional visibility, but what I do is in square brackets, I put like third party link mode, third party link mode in, in each of the titles of the fields so that in a glance, they can, they're not going, Hey, hang on a second. This is a link, but I already put a link somewhere else. Which one is the third party link mode using? It's just something that's just like a little bit of UX and a little bit of, you know, something to add. And it touches on Mike's point too, where, you know, people checking the the drafts and that, which I think was a great point actually. I didn't really think of that, checking the drafts on that. But one thing as well is I would, I would go through yourself and pretend or literally try to publish a piece of content. Because when I was publishing just this content box uh, thing, uh, you know, I've published articles before, but in, even then I've like, I missed images. I missized size some because every single blog platform requires you to tailor it. Just so to them a little bit change for medium, a little bit change for web flow, a little bit different here, a little bit different there. And so like really going through and testing exactly what you're doing is like, is super crucial. And you'll notice when you're going through you you'll notice like, Whoa, this is really confusing or Whoa. Like I really should have something like a better label than just featured image. Like what does featured image do? Maybe I need to add some helper text here. It'll allow you to see the shortcomings and allow you to sort of make the CMS and like make CMS uh, have a better UX and whittle down hopefully those amount of fields. Now the final sort of section here I have for today is the problem with dynamic content. So dynamic content sounds like it's great you know you you publish an article and you have a bunch of authors publishing articles and then your whole site fills up and you're like woo you know what I, I didn't have to run all that stuff all my writers did it this is great this is everything but there's always there's always a problem there's always a problem and i want to kind of focus in on for for at least mike has a point as well later but for my point i want to focus in on what we the web developer web designer can mess up here easily and that is that once you learn how to create websites that are powered with dynamic content and like going into being plugged into dynamic design, like the different types of content boxes, it's very easy to get carried away with with CMS experiences that should otherwise be simple. So this is, I'm anonymizing names and stuff like this and details, but we once had a project with Couch CMS where I had, at that point, used it a whole bunch for a number of months. I really learned the ins and outs of it. I learned how to get different flags and different dynamic data and learned what would toggle what and... All this stuff, and so with all this knowledge, we got a client. And the client, um, I had a at a school, and the school basically had multiple locations. And I thought, okay, great. What I'm gonna do is sometimes the locations would close, right? There's no there's no um, course running in this city, so that that location is closed temporarily. and This type of thing. It's kind of like a traveling, um, like a traveling. Uh, what do you call it? like lesson? They they go they like rent out a hall, do a lesson. Go here, rent out a hall, do a lesson, that type of thing. And so I thought, okay, great. What I'll do is in their servicing area, they like told me that they literally would like to close them and open them and like show and this and that. So I thought, okay, great. What I'll do is I'll make it dynamic so that when they enter in a, like an upcoming course in a city, like let's say Hamilton, Hamilton will automatically show up as an area they service. If they do not have anything scheduled for Hamilton, that Hamilton location is effectively closed and they closed that because that's what I got from them when they looked at it. And I had spent a bunch of time designing this system out because we had a bunch of like I was like I had a number of months on my belt, but I was still kind of new. And like I, I built this whole thing out and then they they looked at it and they said, well, how like I can't open and close these locations. And I said, no, no, it does it. It dynamically opens and closes these locations. If you have an event, it just does it. It knows. It knows you're open. It knows you're closed. But I hadn't done my due diligence in getting all the user requirements. And they said, no, no, no. We want to be able to open and close them. You're right. But the number one problem here is that sometimes we leave it open even without an event. And the reason why we do that is because we're looking to gauge interest in an area and are willing to, if we get, say, 10 students, to run something in Hamilton or run something in another city. And that was like a huge thing. It's like, oh, so you literally need the more let's say the more simple just this location this location this location this location you actually don't want a dynamic solution because sometimes the like the parameter i had set as like if an event exists show this the event sometimes does not exist and so this is where you can kind of start getting yourself into trouble this is a pretty simple example but it's still something that's like kind of more advanced than just your basic dynamic content example and it's in starts to it starts to mess things up so what i would do in this particular case to correct this is i think i corrected it in some in some degree and then they they gave some concessions because some of them were like they were like hey this is actually kind of handy that we don't have to keep toggling switches so there was i think there was like a half step done in correction but just really kind of if if something's going to take a little while like that part took a decent amount of time uh in, in comparison to the rest of the site I would honestly like take a look and and, like have a conversation with them and be like, I'm taking a look at doing it like this. Is this okay or no? And like kind of check in whenever possible. Or if you think of it right in that initial meeting, think of think of yourself like, hmm, like, should I do this? And I have one more example of this. Um, We're working on a site or about to start working on a site and they have um, someone who is going to come in and do their blog posts for them. And their website needs to be repaired in that some of the data got went missing. I'm not sure exactly what happened. Some of the data went missing uh, a number of months ago. And uh, we're coming in for the first time. And I'm going to be filling in this information. One of the things in there is a collection of testimonials. Now, what I want to do is add a custom post type in WordPress and add a bunch of custom fields to it. And I want to make a testimonials thing so that they can dynamically have uh, testimonials, and I had that in my initial uh, thing, my initial document when doing my technical analysis and eventual quote of the site and what I thought needed to be done. Having slept on it, which I almost always do with these type of things, I try to sleep on it, then reread it. I kind of realized to myself the person that is doing the work do- said that she doesn't really want, like she's not super tech savvy. She needs some training, and a lot of this stuff isn't going to change much. And so, do I really want to add the the like the, the, the custom post type, the advanced custom fields. Like, do I want to add CPT UI, which is not installed, custom post type UI, which is a WordPress plugin, ACF, advanced custom fields, which is also a WordPress plugin. Do I want to add those, maintain those, because I have to update them periodically, of course. Do I really want to do that and then add a custom thing that they may never, ever touch? And it's sort of like, is this dynamic content at this point? Like it can be powered by dynamic content, but is it dynamic content? And I've decided against it because it's easy to add later, but I feel like they're not going to do it. I feel like they might update their testimonials like once every five years or something. Maybe I'm wrong and I'll confirm that in the final stages. Like I said, always ask questions and stuff like that. But just think of it that way and think of it like, hey, you know, I can make this dynamic. Well, that's great, but should you? Think about the should. Should I be doing this? So just one... One, or a couple little stories there of where dynamic content, and especially your knowledge of handling dynamic content, can get you get you into trouble. And uh, Mike had one more point here, and I'll 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 just read out the point and I'll let him take it away with it. And that is that you know, there's a line here. And the line is, you know, or actually, I guess the question is: where is the line? What's the line between content creator freedoms and limiting them, limiting those freedoms? for the design and possibly the UX of the website user? Do you allow content creators to upload super mega, like super high quality, absolutely massive imagery, but then the user, that's the website user, it's going to take forever to load? Or the website uh, host, you're going to have to update the package because you're uploading these massive images and it's 40 times the size you normally have it, stuff like that. So where's the line in telling the content creator, no, like, we could allow you to do this, but no. Where's that line, and what's that look like?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's one that I'm still battling with. Honestly, uh, the line is very much in a in a very big gray area for me, depending on the project, because of editors like Webflow uh, that allow you to do essentially anything to the website, and you can give that access to your client, right? Like you can give editor access to your client, not just CMS, where they can go in and literally like change the colors of everything and add a whole new page or like, you know, change up the page. Should you do that to a typical client? I would say 90% of the time is the answer is going to be no, you should not give full editor access to a typical client. A typical client in this case is a standard content editor or marketing person, someone that has no idea about the development ux and ui so they are not a designer they are just a content editor for them sometimes you're going to get pushback i'm just going to say it flat out i've had it before where they're like well i need to add this dynamic piece of content that just doesn't fit into this content box like this blog post doesn't accept a certain block of 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 text that i need to be added into like three uh, columns let's say i need a three column piece of text Back before, when you designed that blog post, it never had any intention of having three columns anywhere in it. So their pushback to you is we need these three columns to display this whatever. This is where it gets really complicated because they're like, well, just allow me to put in whatever I want. Like I just want to be able to edit the site exactly the way I want it every single time. Your pushback has to be, listen – the site has to look good on mobile has to look good on desktop it has to look cohesive so that every page kind of looks like it belongs together you have to be able to come up with reasonings and and uh, determinations of why you can't do that plus the more custom you make these uh these pages the more likely stuff will break so the more columns you allow for instance the more likely that you know one or two columns might look bad The more likely that four columns might look bad, the more likely that your bold text might overlap. Like there's so many, You, the more customization, the more variables you're adding for stuff to interfere with each other. So depending on the budget, that could be a restraint, right? So you could be like, listen, I can't give you full customization because I would have to essentially build you a what you see is what you get editor for every component. You can't do that on a limited budget or you have to go to a different tool. So this is why it's important to get the requirements, like Matt was saying, really early on and solidified. Because once you explain to them and explain to them very deliberately, like, hey, this is how it's going to look. A blog post is going to be a single column, right? A blog post, here's, you know, a couple examples of what a blog post can look like. But when they come back to you and ask you to add in a graph, a dynamic graph, and be like, why can't I add this dynamic graph based on this data that I've provided to the system – You have to be able to either come up with a quote for adding that, I guess, or a rebuttal being like, listen, that's going to make all the other blog posts look different, right? So it's just one of those challenges that you're going to be facing on a continual basis, depending on who your content editors are. Now, having said that, a content editor could be the design head of the website, the person that gave you all the Figma files, Right. If, if that's a content editor, then you can start thinking about, okay, how do I, you know, do something a little bit different? And maybe they do get editor access in Webflow. Or maybe you go to a system like uh, Plasmic where you can do a WYSIWYG on every component. Right. So again, the requirements have to determine where that line is. But you also have to provide your logic and reasoning about like a random. Marketing person or a random content editor shouldn't have access to this stuff because your site is going to look bad. At the end of the day, it's really not fully up to you. If the client has the money and they have the determination that they want their content editors to be able to edit whatever they like, then you go ahead and build them with that, but you leave them with disclaimers of being like, listen, you know, three months down the line, when someone adds six blog posts that all look different, they might interfere with each other for Christ, for instance. Like there might be a situation where those content boxes could like just the cards could be an issue if they have like two or three images instead of one or something. Like if you give them infinite customization, they have to be expecting issues no matter what the situation is right. It's either going to take them a long time to set something up, set up a single blog post, or it's going to be a disaster when they put it all into one place. Like when, when all the cards are, are looking together. So it's, it's a give and take. It's a, it's a problem. I don't have a full solution to quite yet, but I am finding that it is a line that you have to draw in the early stages of the requirements process. Because if you start, if you complete the system, like Matt was saying with couch CMS situation, and all of a sudden they have this ask at the end of the day that requires you to redesign the whole thing, that's going to be a massive issue between you and the client. And it's just the reality of it. These, these. These CMSs are not easy to work with for the most part, especially when you have to add customization into them.
1: Well, imagine this too, Mike. Like with your situation where you have, you know, generally a single column and someone wants to add a three-column design. Well, some some people are probably thinking right now, well, I'll I'll just reach, I'll just reach for another field or another selection, another thing of fields where I'll have I'll have my my let's say my title, my subtitle, my main content, and then I'll have my three columns in some sort of setup in the CMS. Well, once again, this is, first of all, you're adding, um, you're adding problems because what if they want main content to start and then three columns to be in the middle and then the main content to go back to one column again? Like what if they want that? But if that, even if that's not the case and they always want the three columns at the, at the end, you know, is the three columns really going to stick around? Like, is it going to be something that when the next design comes out in a few years, are is it is three is three columns considered acceptable at all and if it isn't now you have three fields column one column two column three now what are you doing with that are you adding a new main column and then uh, like and then like having to data entry all that out so that you can delete those three fields this is technical debt like 101 and adding too many fields 101 too there has to be the back and forth like mike said there there's the office politics which i mentioned as well or sometimes No, like this person wants admin role, they have admin role, right? Um, but there's just, there's just times like 100%. There's just these times where it, things just do not like you, you need to have it out with the designer and or the, the content creators. Absolutely not have a, like a full blown argument or something, but have a serious talk and say, Hey, you know, if I do this, this is what this is going to do. And sometimes like Figma it for them or something and be like if i do this this is what this is going to do if you're okay with this i'm you know cc'ing your manager on this thread so that when in 3 months this does not work which is what i think is going to happen uh i get paid you know the cuz you're a contractor i get paid the uh time to fix it cuz i'm telling you not to do this stuff like that just you know keep you know there's there's always a back and forth unless it's your project you're not going to have full control but it absolutely is you absolutely should have a, a, a not an again, I keep on argument, but you absolutely should have a debate with the content creators if they're um, asking for something that is technically not viable or not recommended for whatever reason. Uh, but that concludes this episode. Um, I do have uh, one video that I did watch, and I'm going to um, link it in the link it in the uh, the, the show notes. It is, uh, I accidentally closed it. So I, <laughs> like right away, just closed it. I was just, I was like, oh man, I'll like, I'll pull up this, I'll pull up this YouTube video and like, I'll be able to like tell you what it is. Um, hang on. Let me just pull it up so I can give give the, uh, the, the proper shout out here, but it is the basics. The basics of, uh, dynamic content in 15 minutes by living with pixels. So I, I watched the majority of this video, not the whole thing, but it was my inspiration, uh, to make this on top of the fact that I had already written a content, my content box, um, my content box article before I watched this. So just, I'll be linking that in the show notes as well, but if there's nothing else to add, I think it is time to end. And if you want to support episodes like this, shows like this, remember we are on patreon that's patreon.com slash html all the things and many thanks to our three dollar tier patrons ryan gatchell from blue black digital on BlueBlackDigital.com, digital.com chris from Self-made web designer on self tim from the web hacker on the dl ford from dl4.io bib dash nine block media nine block jason from geek life radio via GeekLifeRadio.com, radio.com michael curie from mc web studio via MCWebStudio.ca, magnus from YesWeb via YesWeb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff and Kale and fire ant season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform. You're listening to this on and we are signing off.
0: You've been listening to HTML, all the things podcast Signing off.